Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests joining me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life, so that you can better live inspired in your life. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I want you to know that our podcast has been downloaded. Are you ready for this? More than 700,000 times. I know it's crazy. And our community of online followers is now more than 200,000 friends strong, globally minded, spread out around the world. It's pretty amazing. So if you're new here, I want to invite you to listen to previous episodes of the Live Inspired podcast. Check out my inspirational videos and blogs and stay in touch on Facebook or Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram. It's my honor to share inspirational thoughts and challenges with you throughout the week. You can open up your favorite social platform and connect with me there. Check it all out at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Again, that's JohnO'LearyInspires.com. It is the best way to stay in touch. So visit that right now. And now let's get after it. My friends, today I am thrilled to have with us on the show Mrs. Dina Dwyer Owens. You may have seen her on the hit CBS show, Undercover Boss, and today you are going to see why she was brought on the show. Dina absolutely leads her life and her business with her values first. She will share amazing insights so that you can clarify your personal and your professional values too. So buckle up and get ready for an amazing ride with a remarkable guest. My friends, open up your hearts, your minds, your journals, and welcome to our show, our friend, Dina Dwyer Owens. Dina Dwyer Owens, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. John, I'm inspired already just to be on the phone <laughs> with you. Thank you. Well, uh, awesome. We're inspired to have you on the podcast today. And for those who may not know your name yet, Dina, and I do, I'm a huge fan. Uh, share with those who are listening in today, though, a little bit more about your journey. W- what do you do professionally? And then what are you up to personally? Yes. Yeah, so professionally, um, I'm today co-chairing Dwyer Group, which is um, a world leader in the franchising community. Uh, we focus on repairing, maintaining, enhancing homes and businesses. Today, we have close to 3,000 franchisees and serving basically the same customer base. So, in my mind, John, I'm in the business of helping people have a better quality of life. We just happen to use franchising mm-hmm. as the vehicle to do that. And it's just um, so satisfying and rewarding um, to be in this profession. And I, of course, worked my way into that role. Personally, um, I'm a mother of two. I have a son who's about to be married in October. His name is Mikey, although he's going by Mike now, which I'm never going to call him. <laughs> and just building his first house. And oh, so we're doing all the planning for the wedding and all that good stuff. And then a beautiful daughter, Danny, who is uh, got her own business. Both, both kids are entrepreneurial, uh, no surprise. But she's got a yoga studio here in Waco, right by Fixer Upper's Magnolia Market. Uh, 
And she's, uh, she calls it the yoga bar for your healthy happy hour. And so Danny's into helping other people be healthy. So she does that along with um, doTERRA oils. Yes. And she's got a steady, steady guy that we really love, and we're hoping something's going to come of that real soon. Well, my and, mother... And an amazing husband that puts up with me. So I, I've got to say, my, my Mike, Big Mike, is, big Mike. Uh, is just a... Yeah, he's just been uh, an amazing friend and, and husband for over 27 years. I was just saying, my mother and my sister, my sister lives in Austin. I and my mom and others in our family live in St. Louis, Missouri. But once a year, my mother will fly down to Austin and then make the trip out to Waco uh, for the show in part. But she loves your community. She just thinks it's phenomenal. Well, we love it too. And tell her next time she comes to let me know. I will absolutely tell her that she'll be uh, she'll she'll take you up on the offer. So uh, y- you're doing a lot of amazing things today. But let, let's back the story all the way up until when you were a little girl. Tell us where you grew up and what life was like for you as a kid. Yeah, well, it started in uh, Stanford, Connecticut, is where I was born. I have five brothers and sisters. The rest of them were born in New York, uh, in the Long Island area, and so were my parents. So I uh, moved from Connecticut back to, to New York, uh, to, to Long Island, and my father had a very interesting background. He, he was in um, the music industry, mm-hmm. uh, which took us to California. So he actually managed the band Steam that produced the first hit record for the song Na 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 Na, Hey Hey Hey, hey. I think everybody knows that. I don't know if the, uh, the, the, the St. Louis Cardinals oh, we'll uh, play played it right now. Games, yeah, but... we know that song. Yeah, it's it's a popular song. So we've got a gold record at home that uh, we're, we're proud of. So he followed that entertainment business out of California. So as a young girl, I was in California, Westlake Village, for about three years. And then uh, he he found that maybe that wasn't the best place to be raising kids, being in the entertainment industry and six mm-hmm. young kids you know, outside of L.A. So he went to a franchise show, and he learned about a business called Success Motivation Institute and became a distributor, quasi-franchisee, and uh, quickly rose to be the top distributor. And, uh, and he and a half, and Paul Meyer, who had founded Success Motivation Institute, invited him to Waco to be a vice president of one of his divisions. So we landed in Waco. Gosh, my mom and I were talking about this yesterday. I think it's 45 years now yeah. that we've been in Waco. So Waco's really been home for us. And I was raised by amazing parents, a very devout uh, Catholic mother. Uh, my, my father made it to Mass with us when he was in town and not working, but he mm-hmm. was a workhorse. I mean, his his life was about providing for his family and helping others um, achieve their potential, which uh, gave us this great gift of being raised around a man who believed in people, and he, he especially believed in us. So fortunate to be raised by uh, two, two wonderful parents and okay. uh, went right into the business early on. So at the age of 12, I was, I was working for other businesses prior to him opening the Dwyer Group. I'm curious. You, know, you hear people rise into the ranks, becoming a VP, moving to Waco, what was it about your dad in addition to just working hard? Because I think that's actually the easy part, working hard in some regards. What was it also about your father that allowed him to become as successful as he was when you were 12, but as successful as he became as this company and the business continued to grow and swell? Yeah, well, he, he had a very clear mission. And I think this mission was uh, clear in, in writing as well as in his mind way before, again, he founded Dwyer Group, and that was to teach his principles and systems of both personal and business success so that all people he touched would live happier, more successful lives, John. Mm. So it's really, again, about helping people achieve their potential. And he loved um, seeing people through that process. That's really where he got the greatest satisfaction. And your mother, she sounds remarkable, but you've been bragging on your dad. I bet we hear a little bit more about him as the uh, interview goes on. 
celebrate your mom for a moment. What what made her such a special mom? Gosh, she, you know, she's the kind of mother. She wishes she would have had more kids, by the way, and there's six of us. And so <laughs> she's she loved being a mother, and she taught us so many things that you know we we practice today from those things that we probably all learned from our parents to say please and thank you and be kind to others, um, to making sure we remember God loves us um, and that we, you know, we are all unique and special in our, in our own ways, and that's okay, but God will always love us. You mentioned that you started working at age 12. Uh, I have a little boy who's 11. He turns 12 in a, few, in a few weeks, actually, and I can't quite yet imagine this man starting his own business. So, so tell me what you were like as a 12-year-old and what line of work you're walking into. Oh, gosh, at 12, actually, it was kind of fun because I got to go work at a car wash. So they had a full-service car wash, and he allowed me to invite a friend to work with me. So we were responsible. We might have been 13 at that time. He had me doing some other stuff around the car wash before I could, I think, work the front pumps. But I was pumping gas and selling. He wanted me to learn how to sell early on, so polish waxes and detail jobs. But I had a girlfriend that got to work with me, and there were a bunch of cute guys that worked at the back of the car wash doing the detail work. So that was actually kind of fun. When I got a little older and he, and he made me do that, and I was working at a restaurant that he had as well, and I wasn't having any time, you know, on the weekends with my friends, it's like, this isn't so much fun anymore. So yes. I was kind of cranky. I was kind of a cranky kid about it. What What were you learning in that car wash besides the fact that the cute boys worked in the back? What What, what were some of the, yeah. the life lessons that you were going to be, uh, not only wax it on the cars that you were cleaning up, but also uh, in the, the life that you were going to be building up? Gosh, you know, it's all about leadership. And so the way that you treated those customers on that front line um, made a difference whether they were going to be coming back or not. Wow. And I learned that very early on. And I've always been somebody who likes to make others smile. And so it was fun for me um, to, to delight people, even at that young of an age. If I was going to be there, I was going to make the best of it. So that's carried through with me. I just love people. And when I think about what I do today with Dwyer, I've got this huge family yes. from our associates here at Dwyer that you know, work directly for the corporation to the franchisees to the franchisees' employees. Um, I just love love the family that we've built around here. Dana, after the the car wash and the restaurant work, what, what else did you do before you you took on the full time work that you uh, you are still active in today? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure this is going to surprise you, but I was a cheerleader. Huh. So I was a cheerleader in in high school, and uh, I think there's a lot to be learned from that. So I, maybe my next book is going to be called Cheer Leadership. And just the idea that you have to sell as a cheerleader, too. You know, we had to sell ribbons and, and all these things um, to make money so that we could buy our uniforms and, and you know, some of the signs that we wanted to buy yes. for the team. So I did a, did a lot of cheerleading, went on to actually run a cheer camp at a local community college uh, after that. So I worked for my father while going to school, uh, finished high school, and uh, began to attend Baylor University. By the way, I didn't do well on the SAT test. I didn't even know what it was. I went to a small country school that I loved. <laughs> But they didn't have college counselors. Nobody really said yes. this SAT test is important as you consider going to college. Um, so I didn't get accepted into Baylor. In fact, my father and I had to meet with the president of the college to say, give me a chance. You know, I, I don't do well on these kinds of tests, but, you know, give me a chance. So I had to go to the first six weeks of summer school. And if I made a certain grade point average, which I barely made, John, then uh, I could go to Baylor. So I did that for a couple of years, but I found uh, that I was very frustrated. I was working full-time for my father, helping him with, with one of the franchise businesses, and at the same time going to school full-time yes. and teaching aerobics in between. Yes. So I just one day you know, said to him, um, something's got to give. This is just not working out. And he said, well, why don't you take a semester off? Uh, let's get your real estate license because we've got a lot of real estate that needs to be managed. And why don't you work side-by-side with me, and then let's decide 
next steps after this semester. And Don Dwyer University taught me <laughs> so much, you know, really working side by side with him that I continued to educate myself outside of working with him and studying things that were important to my jobs. Uh, and I would do some of that through continuing education classes at the college, uh, but mostly, you know, just listening to the tapes and reading the books that I needed to to make me better. How, tell, tell me more about that. So you, you move into real estate. Did you ever move back into college or did you, uh, did you continue on with Don Dwyer University? Yeah, Don Dwyer U um, is where I stayed. <laughs> so, of course, I got my, my certified franchise executive um, certification and, and things related to our business I continued to study, but it was really just proactively on my own or through our organization because we've always been an organization about helping people achieve their personal and professional goals. So we provide a lot of uh, education to our team here as well. So I did that and and really just learned so much, again, working side-by-side with Don, and he put me in some really, really tough situations. If we have time to talk about it, I'll share one or two with you, but uh, it made me better. You know what? Let's bring it up now. Why why wait? The suspense is killing me. So give give me a situation where you really were challenged. I'll start with one, and then we'll transition to a much bigger challenge. Um, The first was in the late 80s. So at that point, then I'm I'm managing a real estate company for him with about a million square feet of real estate. So he really gave me that leadership role. I think I had a team of about uh, 28 folks at the time. And uh, the real estate market wasn't doing well. You might remember the savings and loans crisis. Mm -hmm. And we had apartment communities. We had shopping centers. And thank goodness we had franchise businesses that helped kind of offset how poorly the real estate was doing. But he called me into his office. And to be called into his office was not simple, right? It was that... It kind of felt like a 50-yard yes. walk to his desk. And, <laughs> you know, it was always pretty serious. What was his name at office, work? He said, was he Dad, Don, Mr. Dwyer? Still Dad at work. Okay. Um, but, he, yeah, he sure was uh, the boss. You know, we were at work, and I was the employee. Mm-hmm. And, and his children, as employees, we had a lot more ex- expected of us than anybody else because he never wanted anybody to believe that mm-hmm. – uh, things were handed to us. So he calls me in his office. He says, look, our occupancy rate is not even 60% at our apartment communities. I'm not blaming you for that. It's the, it's the economy. Uh, yet I can't make the mortgage payment. So I need you to get with the banker and tell him that we need him to reduce, forgive uh, 50% of the mortgage, or we'll have to get the property back. And I said, what? How could you expect me to go back on your word? You signed a loan agreement that you were going to pay this mortgage, and now you're telling me, you're not going to follow through on your word. That's not who you are. He said, Dina, you don't understand. I don't have a choice. Financially, we're in a situation where I cannot afford the payments. At this occupancy rate, it's just not working. So either they work with us or they have to take the property back. Those are my two choices. Now go talk to the banker. I left that office. I went home that night crying. Mm. And I think I even did a recording. He used to tell, get things off your chest, you know, mm-hmm. and do a recording. And I did. I had to rip it up because it was bad. You know, I hate him, you know, kind of recording. Yes, we'll, we'll have that in the show notes. We'll play it. So yeah. we'll have the people check it out afterwards. <laughs> I, I ripped it up later, John. But the truth is, uh, I went to the banker. I had the conversation. And I was shocked. The banker said, let me think about this. Let me talk to a few other people. And I'll get back with you within a week or two. He got back to me. And he said, we can't give you a 50% forgiveness, but we can give you a 40% forgiveness. And we have to put a reserve in place. We want, we want to make sure the roofs are taken care of because they were flat roofs, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. And he said, I appreciate that your father has given us this opportunity versus just turning the property back over to yeah. us. We have more properties than we can possibly deal with. What a lesson. 
when you look back at that experience and the, the, the ugly cry the night before, then the conversation, and then him coming back to you with uh, 40%, what, what did you learn? What's a, what's a lesson that you learned through that experience? Uh, I think two lessons. One is never be afraid to ask, which yeah. I do really well. Uh, the second one is um, it's always best to be honest with people and just tell them straight up mm. what you're dealing with instead of um, trying to work around it and, and then maybe putting them off, putting them off, putting them off, in this case, not pay- making payments, and then you know, frustrating the whole relationship. So he was very, very straight up. From real estate, where, you know, the folks realize now that you are co-chair of a 1.5 billion with a B business. So you, you did a whole lot of a variety of jobs leading up to this. What what did you do after real estate? After managing that that you, those apartments? Yeah, you know, in conjunction with doing the real estate, I was an ambassador for the Dwyer Group franchising business. So he had me even involved in learning franchise development. And I would travel internationally with him representing our brands. And he, he put me in situations where I'd have to work with a, uh, a translator mm-hmm. as we're trying to sell somebody in Japan a master license for one of our brands. You know, he would just put you on the spot and say, okay, today you're going you're gonna to handle this sales presentation. Mm-hmm. I'll be right here with you, but I want you to do it. It's like, what? And, of course, the great learning comes from that. But I, I also uh, piloted a franchise that he wanted to test. It was a karate school franchise. That's a whole other story. But lots of lessons from that as well. And... Then I became, um, it's kind of an unofficial board position. He took the company public in 1993, and he had me involved in, uh, at, at a certain level on the public company board. And then he died in 1994 of a yes. heart attack at the age of 60. So here we just took the company public, which was a dream come true for him. He wanted to give the franchisees and employees the opportunity to have ownership in something that they were helping him build. He knew it wasn't about him. He knew it was a team that was building this organization. And that was a dream come true. And then he died within a year after taking it public. You know, I'm, I'm curious, your dad's life seemed cut short for various reasons. What, what did you learn best from your father? And then what did you learn from your dad that you realized, you know what, I love my dad, but I don't want to, I don't want to do this thing? Oh, great question. So what I learned best was uh, always have clarity of your goals and go for him. So he's a guy who thought he lived to be 100, mm. and he died at the age of 60, but we say he squeezed 100 <laughs> years of life into the 60 because he was so clear, John. He was mm. so driven, constantly setting his goals, putting them in writing, and mm. then following through. I mean, he, the guy must have achieved 95% of uh, any goal he had written down. Um, so that's a big lesson that I learned that I still carry through today. The lesson that I learned that I don't want to do that he did is to go through life working so much that you don't appreciate yes. um, those closest to you. And not that he didn't appreciate us. He didn't, he struggled with spending that quiet time. He felt like he always had to be busy, right? That constant mm-hmm. sense of urgency to be busy. And he knew what the priorities were. And frankly, if he would have just focused on the priorities, he would have had a lot more free time with his family. So the one regret, if he were alive, I know he would say, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids just being dad. Uh, you, but he says, you know, I didn't have anything to offer them, or he thought that. I didn't have anything to offer them until they were 12 or 13 when I could put them to work and teach them work ethic. <laughs> yes. But he really did have something to offer us. Of course. Us. So uh, that was a big lesson. Was there a chance to say goodbye, or did Dad pass quickly? Gosh, you know, he and I were such good friends. and that So there's no regrets, which is wonderful. 
we would go for these, what I call them walkie-talkies. We still carry this um, theme on at Dwyer today. So we'd have meetings, but we'd go for walks to have these meetings. And one of the last walks we had, we were in the Cayman Islands, one of his favorite places in the world. And we were going for a walk. He had just had uh, a report from the doctor that he had a bit of congestive heart failure, was probably a candidate for open-heart surgery. That scared him, really scared him. He didn't want to face that. So he extended our trip in the Caymans for another week. Mm. And we went for a walk, and he, he had a conversation with me about if something were to happen to mom and I, here's who you need to talk to. And kind of went through a list of different people, from mm-hmm. attorneys to you know, advisors, that he had intru- you know, that I, I had gotten over the years anyway. But here's who you need to talk to. And that was a weird conversation. Then we're in the car coming back from church one night, and my four-year-old daughter says, Hey, Grandpa, what would it be like to be in heaven? <laughs> and Grandpa says, Well, I'm sure it's a beautiful place, but we're all too young for that. <laughs> We got home that night to have dinner. He cracks a joke at the dinner table, John. Uh, you might not get it, but he was going to take you out of his food. It's, a, it's kind of a local joke there. And so he walked away from the table laughing. Um, he laughed himself into a heart attack and died pretty much suddenly. You know, we, we tried yeah. to uh, resuscitate him. But if you're going to die, that's the way to go, isn't it? So at age 60, um, I was right there with him uh, when he died. You know, you, you have the heartache of losing your friend and your dad and your children's grandfather. You also have the the sorrow of losing the leader of this business that you're part of. Uh, how do you reconcile all, all this grieving? So not only do you have to figure it out as a daughter, but you are, in some regards, co-chairperson. you got to figure out how to take the next step forward in this large publicly traded business. Yeah. The, the best thing that we could do to celebrate his life, which is uh, we have a very positive outlook in our family, and we're a very close family. We actually all still live in Waco, believe it or not. So it was about how do we best celebrate his life, and, and the best way to celebrate his life is to continue to build this business and see it through, because he had an amazing vision for this business. And there was, there was a lot to do, so we were really busy. Certainly we had our, our morning um, stage, but we were very busy making sure we were taking care of the employees, the shareholders, the franchisees, and, of course, the end-user customers, a big part of that, too. And that, that got us through it all. It's, you know, it's all about Don's mission. Let's make sure we continue to grow his mission. And here we are. The company's 36 years old this year. Very few family-started businesses survive yes. 36 years. And we've done that because there's a great team of people here who care about Don's mission, and they're helping us see it through to the next level. I heard a story that you, when you uh, took even a larger role in leadership, realize that you you might have a gap between how you thought you were living at the mission and what you were actually delivering on. So you challenged your employees, your team members, when they did not see it lived out perfectly to beep you, to buzz you, to call you out on oh, it. Oh, yeah. T- oh, t- yeah. T- t- tell our listeners <laughs> about that. Well, the, the Dwyer Group has always had a code of values that was founded by, by Don. And Don made sure we were held accountable to those values, right? And we were a smaller company. And when he passed away in 1994, uh, one of our biggest challenges um, – as a leadership team, was how do we keep this culture special that Don created via the values? The values were the foundation for success. So we took his original values, which were things like we must re-earn our positions every day in every way, and we operationalize them. So we, we put them into the acronym of living rich at Dwyer, and the rich stands for respect, integrity, customer focus, and having fun in the process. And below each one of those core areas of values, we have very specific standards, Mm -hmm. things like speaking calmly and respectfully without profanity or sarcasm. 
So after he passed away, it took us about a year to come up with these operationalized values, and then we introduced them to our team. We basically gamified them, John, because we knew the only way to really get the team excited about this yes. and having fun with it was to kind of create a game around it. So we brought them together under one roof, and maybe 125 team members at the time gave them a laminated card with the original values on one side, the new operationalized rich values on the other side, and we said, we'd like for you to study these. We think we have the solution to keeping our culture special, but we need your help. We, as a management team, have never practiced these new values. And so for the next 90 days, we're going to play the beep game. <laughs> and it sounds silly, John, but you know what? The employees took it seriously. They studied those values backwards and forwards. And had you been on our campus, it would have sounded like the Roadrunner <laughs> was racing through our buildings for about 90 days. Beep, beep. Oh, oh beep, 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 beep. I mean, we were being beeped right and left as a management team. Now, when you say beep us, were they saying that orally? Were they making the beep noise, or did you give them little it's, buzzers? Well, some of them might make the beep, beep noise, but most of them it was just a verbal beep. That's awesome. And, yeah, we, we ran into some surprises with that, too. One, one that was shocking is one of our uh, executives was beeped as she was in the hallway talking to another team member, and she used profanity. Hmm. And one of our values is you know, speaking calmly and respectfully without profanity or sarcasm. So the mailroom clerk, back in the old days, you had mailroom clerks, yes. <laughs> beeped this executive. She flipped her off. Woo. Yeah. I mean, that's not the reaction you, you'd hope for from an executive. But you know what? None of us are perfect. Today, after practicing those new values for 21, almost 22 years, we're still not perfect at it. But the bottom line is we've set this standard, so it's a very high bar that we aim to achieve. We don't make it every day. But having a high bar is much better than not having a high bar. Did the, uh, did the flick off get another beep? <laughs> yeah, the flick off got a, the girl had the courage to come to us, the CEO at the time. Wow, uh, that was good. prior to me being CEO to say, you won't believe what happened. And we, we counseled her. We didn't fire her. But what's interesting is after the 90 day beep game, the employee said, we love it. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's make this our new code of values. She decided to leave the company because those were not the rules she was willing to play by. And that's Okay. We're not for everybody. So I, I love what you stand for and who you are for. So tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are for. If when you say we're not for everybody, what is it really that you as an organization are trying to do? Gosh, we're for the, we're for the good guy. And we want to make others good guys too. So when we say we live Richard Dwyer, it's about how we treat each other. We treat people with respect and dignity. And when we do that and provide a quality product or service, um, the profits or the applause we get. My friend Ken Blanchard likes to say that, you know, profits should be the applause you're getting for doing such a great job, mm-hmm. taking care of your, your people and your customers. So, uh, you know, today at Dwyer, we're, we're growing rapidly. In fact, uh, one of the big lessons I also learned from my father, because he had me listen to these um, motivational tape programs, educational tape programs. Today, we listen to podcasts like yours, and this is how we learn to get better. But one of the big lessons I learned, I think it was a um, Robert Schuler mm. tape program about surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you are, and being okay with that, because we can only be good at a few things. And so at Dwyer, I've got this amazing CEO, Mike Bidwell, who actually started as a franchisee in our company, became a multi-franchisee, and then became a top franchisee in all those brands, and then we brought him in to start running some of our businesses. He's worn almost every hat in the company, and a little over three, almost three and a half years ago, we promoted him to the CEO role. The company's grown almost 100%, John, (laughs) since he's been in that role, so... You know, there's something to be said for it. We, we should all know when it's time for us to step out of a role mm-hmm. and let somebody else in. Um, and he's surrounded by just amazing, amazing team members um, from, the, from the core leadership team um, to the gal who's working at the front desk, you know, setting yes. a good first impression. 
you had an opportunity to be on a reality television show. And not only a yep. reality television, because there's no, nothing real about reality TV. I, I understand <laughs> that this show is legit. So t- talk a little bit about Undercover Boss. Well, and it's funny you ask that, because when we go back to one of the lessons I learned from my father was never be afraid to ask. And nobody had called me about being an undercover boss, and two of my friends had been on. And I'm thinking, wait a second, how can they be on the show and we're not being approached? We're much bigger than they are, you know, we're, we're close in size. So before, before you ask, though, uh, one of the lessons he did teach us, too, is do your homework. Don't call on a potential customer unless you understand who that customer is and what their needs are. Mm-hmm. So we had done some homework, and we researched undercover boss, and we found that the viewers were aching for more women and yeah. people of color. Kind of enough of these white guys, you know. And let's get more CEOs that are that are women and people of color. And then we also reviewed much of the episode that had already aired to find that very few of the bosses even mentioned the word values in their episodes. So we knew that we had a, we had a really cool mission for going undercover, and that was to find out where our values really working on the front lines at the the, the level of the employees of our franchisees. So uh, we asked. We contacted Studio Lambert, the production company told them who we were. They were in Waco in no time flat, did a mm. casting interview. Um, and one of the fun parts of the casting interview that uh, I'd like to share with you and the viewers is um, that you have to come up with an undercover name. <laughs> and so they say, so Dina, we need you to come up with an undercover name. And it's got to be something you're never going to forget because yeah. we have spent so much time, you know, filming a segment and then the boss messes up and yes. uses their real name. And that just kind of blows their cover. So I got to thinking about what name would I never forget? And I was coming up with all these beautiful, you know, female names. And then I thought, okay, Dina, that's not going to work because you're probably still not going to remember. What name would you never forget? What's the one thing as, as you go into this and you, remain, you, know, you work to remain humble, because that was one of my prayers is to remain humble in this process and remember it's not about me. And faith came to my mind, and it was uh, the name Faith. So I went back to, it was actually CBS and Studio Lambert at this time, and I said, okay, I've got my, my four potential names, Faith Brown, yes. Faith White, Faith Jones and Faith Black, because they had to research and make sure this was not a real person. So they're like, okay, we get it. You like the name Faith. And so they came back and, and approved Faith Brown. So I became Faith Brown uh, undercover. Uh, you know, the part I saw, you were out there with a man. He was teaching you how to operate a tractor. Uh, and I remember he looked at the camera at some point and basically said, wow, Faith is really struggling with this one. <laughs> uh, so, so Faith, t- tell me about a couple of the roles that you took on and, and, uh, even more than what you had to do, what you really learned on top of that tractor. Yeah. You know, and, and it's amazing to me, these frontline team members that serve you and I in our homes and our businesses every day to keep us comfortable are doing very uncomfortable yes. work every day. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. So one mm. of the big lessons was I always appreciated our frontline team members, but boy, did my level of appreciation go way up. You know, and the, and the conditions they have to work in, whether it's hot or cold or addicts or, mm-hmm. you know, Yards with snakes, um, they're just in really tough conditions most of the time. So my level of appreciation went way up. But the thing that I loved about that episode was the care and the concern that those frontline team members had for the customer. And it's a reality show, so yes, it was real and it was a a true experience. Um, But what you didn't see, because I was with them, gosh, eight or ten hours. A lot of filming went on, but only 45 minutes gets put into the the show after days and days and days of filming. And I got to really know those people. And and if you could only have heard what they had to say about, like, I sure hope the customer is going to be thrilled with this one. And, oh, gosh, I hope hope that was enough for the customer. And we may have to go back and, and do this. Their care for the customer, which was our values, was really at work. 
not not perfect, but was really at work. Didn't you get emotional in the attic or cutting oh, the grass when you're, you're hearing these guys working their tails off, focused pretty much solely on serving the client, serving the customer? Yeah, yeah. There were a couple of times uh, on the when we were filming that I, I really got uh, emotional. This one young man, Wayne, was not getting paid. Didn't feel like he was getting paid properly, and you know he had a family to take care of, and and I, and I knew we'd handle it, but. To walk away from that and think, gosh, here's a guy who thinks our franchise is taking advantage of him, which was not the case. He just didn't understand this complex compensation program. But, you know, it, it's, it's stuff people deal with every day. And I'm not, I'm not sitting in the shoes of having to worry about the things he has to worry about. My mm-hmm. goodness, I'm so blessed financially. And that really struck me that, you know, Dina, you have so much, uh, you know, and in my mind, it doesn't really belong to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is money I'm supposed to be using for, for God's greater good. And I don't always do it, so I'm certainly not doing it at the level I should, mm. and that's an opportunity. But here's a guy who has to worry about paycheck to paycheck. Can he have the groceries? Can he pay the electric bill? I don't have to worry about those things. So that was a just a big eye-opener, and, and I really fell apart. The um, production company and CBS were just terrific, uh, and they really wanted to show Dina, yeah. not just Dina, CEO, but Dina, and, and that was the faith side because I do practice trying to go to mass every day, and they brought me back into the church at the end of the uh, the filming, and I fell apart because I was so overwhelmed with the good, the good of the people that represent our brands out in the front line, that I literally, I just, I really couldn't quit, we- quit weeping. It was just uh, <laughs> so overwhelming to me. How, how looking back on it, are you better because you were part of Undercover Boss? Gosh, so many ways. For one, it taught me about how important it is that we're authentic. Sometimes as we're chasing this thing called success, we pretend to be somebody we're not. Mm. And people end up seeing right through it. And when I went into this episode, the greatest piece of advice I got was from my sister, Debbie. Um, And she said, just be you. Just be you, Dina. And I'm so glad she said that because this whole faith piece is such a big part of my life. It's what gives me the confidence to do what I do every day, John. And you'd be surprised maybe at the feedback that I've gotten. Not one viewer, and I've gotten thousands and thousands of wonderful feedback from the viewers and and some negative feedback, too. And in the case of negative feedback of a job not well done by a franchisee, it gives us an opportunity to make it better. But just so rewarding to know that people are encouraged when somebody is real about who they are, even if they aren't of the same faith that I am. Totally. I had people say, thank you for being real. It's just refreshing. So, Dina, I'm, I, of course, host the Live Inspired podcast, and I'm a motivational speaker. Question 13 on our survey is, what topics do you want John to avoid? And that could be anything from, uh, you know, we could go on down a rabbit trail of topics from politics all the way down that path. But always, always people write down faith. Don't talk about faith, man. What I have learned, though, is when people are willing to uh, talk a little bit about their faith from a place of openness, not rudeness or judgmentalness, it actually opens up everybody else to that conversation. So I, I, I think when people fill out that question, they get it all wrong. I actually think people want to talk about faith and they want to be challenged by someone else's faith, and they want to open up to imagine how they can do work in life even better. I agree 100%, because on the same speaker surveys that I send out, because I do a lot of speaking myself, um, that they usually put down faith in politics or religion in politics. Mm-hmm. But if, if they're going to have me speak, I'm always going to talk about my faith. 
uh, maybe maybe it's only a minute or two in my in my talk, but it is who I am, and it's part of what makes me um, gives me the opportunity to come and get before people. Mm-hmm. And exactly what you just said, it becomes a magnet for people because again, they just appreciate the authenticity of somebody at you know at, at your level, you know the achievements that you've had, and it really gives them a chance to say, "Wow." And, and one of our values, too, is everyone has the right to their own perspective. So I'm not, when I talk about my faith, it's not about you should be what I no, am, right? Not. It's never that way. Mm. It's always about this is just who I am, and this is what gives me the confidence to do what I do. And I'm okay with that. And if you don't like it, I'm, you know, I'm okay with that, too. Mm-hmm. But everyone has the right to their own perspective. It's such a powerful value that we have because we were all raised in different cultures. We were all raised in different families. It's just natural that we're going to see things differently. When somebody's willing to open up, and share something about their beliefs in a way that's, like you said, non-threatening, and just very kind of, yeah, let's talk about it out of curiosity. It's amazing what people learn. Well, I I think I learn the most in the back of taxis. As a guy who spends a lot of time on the road, I don't open up my laptop or my phone when I'm in the back. I actually open up my mouth and I say, hey, I'm John, tell me about you. And if you ask that question from a place of authenticity, it is amazing what these primarily guys, these men, will share with you about their experience, about their journey to the United States, about their faith upbringing, about where they are today, about why they love this place, why they love their job. So uh, I love learning in the back of a cab. Smart. So let, Lots of great people are driving those cabs. Well, I uh, have one of them sitting next to me right now, and it's you. And I, I want to shift gears a little bit and, and guide you through what we call the Live Inspired Seven. Th- these are seven questions, you know, that all of our guests before you have been asked and have also answered. Uh, it's safe, so hang with me for this one. But here we go. Number one: What is the best book that you've ever read? Oh, you know, this is, it sounds like such a typical answer, but it's the Bible because I can't quit reading it because I still don't get it. There's so much of that I'm still not, I've still not learned. You know, and the, the more I read, the more I, I need to read. That's a pretty robust, heavy book. Is, the, is there a, a specific book within it or chapter that you really love? Oh, gosh. Well, right now I'm studying the Gospel of Luke, so I guess that's top of the mind. And, you know, I listen to it more than I actually read it, so I, I actually do a lot of listening of even the Gospel. Somebody's reading to me, you know, mm-hmm. online. I would say the Gospel of Luke right now, but I, you know, there's so many fascinating parts of the Bible. So I'm sorry. That's, that's about as good as I'm going to do right no, now that's on, the, on the spur of the moment. Tomorrow, Ms. Dina, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth? Gosh, I would, I would uh, contribute most of it to organizations that my husband and I already care about today. But then I would also get my kids involved in finding organizations that they care about that we could also give some of that money to. Mm. Any, any one in particular jump out at you? Any particular charity? Yeah, or? exactly. Well, um, I'm really a supportive dynamic Catholic because mm. it's all about uh, if we can get one, one more percent of uh, the current Catholics in the world, and there's millions and millions, to give more back um, to their communities, not, not to Catholic, <laughs> not yes. to the Catholic Church, but to their communities— the impact we can make on the world would be amazing. So I'm a big supporter of Dynamic Catholic and Matthew Kelly. Awesome. Likewise. If your house caught fire and all living things are out, all living people are out, and you have an opportunity to go back in and grab one thing that really matters to you, what would you grab? Well, the pictures are always um, 
such an important part of our lives. But the the second thing that came to mind is, uh, and it's not because it's jewelry, but it's precious to me. Um, I have my father's pendant uh, from when he was still alive. It was the thing he wore so proudly, and it was it's a globe. Um, because his original theme for the Dwyer Group was providing a world of specialty services, and my mother um, gave me that that globe. So that would be the other thing I would I would search for because it's um, it's just my dad. You know, it reminds me of my dad. Awesome. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to visit with? Mother Teresa, and I have a picture of her right in front of me. So I'm looking at her thinking, that's the lady I would talk to because, boy, she she would humble me, and I need to be humbled sometimes. <laughs> she would humble you. There's no doubt. She would humble she me. She was not a little flower, man. She would have brought the heat. Uh, oh, what, man. What would be the first question you might ask her? What could I be doing better? Awesome. What's the best advice that either Mother Teresa or anyone else has ever given you? a really long quote that I don't have memorized, but it is about, uh, it's from Mother Teresa, and she talks about how we worry about what people think about us, um, but but do it anyway. You know, mm. do the things that you know you should be doing in life, because she said at the end of the day, it's not about you and them. It was never between you and them in the first place, so do it See, anyway. You knew that one. Yeah, I don't have it memorized, but I love it, and I carry it in my purse. Awesome. Uh, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? My 20-year-old self, oh, man. Gosh, I did some stupid things when I was 20. Um, That's a different podcast. We can't cross yeah. all those bridges on this one. <laughs> Please, Dina. Oh, gosh. Uh, what I would tell, what I, if I were 20? Yeah, if you were 20. If you could, so if you I know, was 20. Yeah, you could go back in I time would, and whisper in your ear. What would you say, say to yourself? Yeah, I would say to myself, why didn't you do more to support mom around the house. Hmm. I was still living at home at the time. Final question. You've made it through. Question number seven. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you want your one sentence to read? Gosh, I pray for this every day, that Dina was a good and faithful servant. Well, Dina Dwyer Owens, my good and faithful servant, job well done. Uh, your father and your mother and your uh, followers are extremely proud of the work that you've done. Thank you. I couldn't do it without a great God and so many amazing people that I'm surrounded by, from family to friends to all these amazing people at Dwyer Group. Uh, for those who want to learn more about you, your work, your writings, your business, where, where, can, we, uh, where can we quickly get a glance? Yes, they can go to dinadwyerowens.com, and that's a D-W-I-E-R, I should say D-I-N-A, mm-hmm. like Tina, D-I-N-A-D-W-Y-E-R group.com. And I've got a free Create Your Culture workbook, John, mm. that I would love for them to take advantage of, whether you're running an organization or, or you just want to create clarity of your values at home, and, and you're a mom, and you're trying to, you know, teach your kids the values of your family, that Create Your Culture workbook is a wonderful tool for anyone. Um, and we're always looking for great franchisees, John. You know, we have uh, close to 3,000 franchisees today at, at Dwyer Group across 11 countries, mostly U.S. and Canada. But we're looking for more great people like you to join our organization. And they're in business for themselves, but not by themselves, being yes. part of one of our franchise brands. So they can find that information out, too. Uh, there's a link on my, my website. And then the last thing I would just share is we just fulfilled a vision that Don Dwyer had when he founded this company 36 years ago, and that was to have a collection of franchise companies 
serving the same customer base. One place that you could go as a customer to get all your home service needs, and it's, it's called getneighborly.com. And I would encourage your listeners to go check it out. Mm-hmm. It's a simple, free site that can help manage all those household services that we all need uh, to keep our homes safe and comfortable. So getneighborly.com. And in case, my friends, you're driving right now, I'll have links to all of this in our show notes. So you can check out all of Dina's work and her impact, her writings, her business, and her life. It, it is absolutely worth checking out. Dina, thank you for sharing this time with us. John, keep up the God work. Dina Dwyer owns That Was You. My friends, this is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. Wow, what an awesome example of leading by example. I clearly loved my time with Dina, and I'm confident that you did as well. I have all of my favorite takeaways from this conversation available for you, as always, in our show notes. You can check them out by visiting me online at johnolearyinspires.com. Again, it's johnolearyinspires.com. My friends, not only do we have the show notes from this episode, but from all the previous episodes there, it's a phenomenal place to learn more about our podcast, all of our social links, the work we do as a speaker, a writer, a community giver, so join us there, johnolearyinspires.com. I can't wait to visit with you there as well. If you haven't yet, though, I encourage you to rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It makes a huge, significant difference in getting the word out about our show to new friends. So rate the show, review the show, and tell your friends that you work with, that you play with, that you hang with about the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. My friends, for this time and until next time, this is your day. Live inspired.